Welcome to a special edition of the AWS Developers Podcast. We are doing special behind-the-curtain episodes at reInvent. I'm Emily Freeman. I'm here with Davis Bitsky, and we are joined by our two guests, John Dalton, Senior Product Manager at RDS Open Source, and Jonathan Katz, Principal PMT at RDS Open Source. And Jonathan is also on the core team of the Open Postgres project, which is amazing. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your team. What are you all working on? Well, we're working on some really exciting stuff. Um, we have something coming up with uh, reInvent that we wanted to share with everyone. Um, and, and it's right in the thick of things with open source and Postgres. So we're really happy to be here and talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I mean, we're, con we're constantly innovating on the, the RDS open source team. And, you know, it makes sense because, you know, you know, we offer, you know, a variety of open source engines, you know, Postgres, MySQL, MariaDB. And, you know, a lot of the impact on open source is contributing to the upstream engines and making sure that, you know, we're delivering exactly what our customers want. And what's awesome about open source is everything you deliver, it, you know, I, I call it the rising tide lifts all ships, that if you make it better to use Postgres for you know, RDS customers, you make it better for you know, all users as well. And that just drives more people to using open source. I think we, we jumped ahead. We haven't actually said what RDS is. Can you describe what RDS is and what it does? Sure, happy to explain that. So we offer, so Amazon RDS stands for Amazon Relational Database Service, and we offer managed and relational databases. So you know, what we're doing is, you know, we're managing all the operational aspects of these different databases. So that way you can focus on building your application, which being a you know, recovering application developer is something I'm very excited about. So we have Amazon Aurora, which is uh, Amazon's uh, own relational database, you know, built for uh, cloud native workloads. Amazon Aurora has MySQL and Postgres compatibility. We also have our open source engines, which I mentioned uh, being, you know, Postgres, MySQL, and MariaDB. And we have commercial engines, uh, SQL Server and Oracle. So what we try to give at Amazon RDS is choice. So you can choose what database best matches your workload. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for going into that. Uh, how do Postgres extensions work today? What is a Postgres extension? Well, let me tell you, a Postgres extension uh, is a capability uh, that you can add to Postgres. Postgres itself has been built as an extensible uh, database engine. so. Uh, what this means is it gives folks uh, an opportunity to innovate outside of the core of the database engine. Um, so we see things today like um, capabilities, like reaching out to other databases for um, data. This is called a foreign data wrapper. That's one way of uh, using extensions. Other extensions can add uh, capabilities like uh, new data types. And one example of that, that uh, a lot of folks might be familiar with their spatial data uh, that's provided by PostGIS. PostGIS is what most people call it. And that allows you to support use cases for applications where I might say, I want to be able to find all the stores that are within five miles of my house. So uh, that kind of uh, capability. So it's, it's a great uh, ability that's built into the core of Postgres. And um, there's also uh, a number of other extensions out there that help uh, people understand more what's going on inside the engine for monitoring capabilities uh, and so on. So it's, uh, it's a very uh, flexible uh, capability, but uh, it can come with some challenges for the developers of those uh, extensions. So that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. So these trusted language extensions, can you, can you talk about like, how do I build them? 
if Dave builds them, they're going to be horrible. And I'm sure I'm going to have security leaks and all sorts of other kind of things. So like what goes into this and what are you doing to kind of enable that at TLE? So uh, let's start with extensions today that people are working with, right? Yeah. They, they might be using uh, something like the C programming language uh, to uh, interface with the Postgres engine. Uh, and, and there are some particular uh, things that can happen when you're working with C and Postgres itself is written in C. So oh, there's nice. things where you can accidentally run over memory and make a mess of things uh, if you're not careful about how you um, manage memory, for example. Uh, so that's, that's one of the things that uh, we are looking to help make less of an issue for people with trusted language extensions. Trusted languages uh, are uh, languages that don't allow you to access certain capabilities in the server. So that helps you uh, protect uh, things from breaking out of the Postgres uh, process space or the engine. Um, I'm sure Jonathan can give us a much better definition of what trusted languages are. Uh, but it, in concept, it's about making extensions and the process of building and deploying extensions uh, for a, be a better and safer uh, process. I love the concept of something escaping a database. Like it's like a little prisoner running an escape. Um, I just love it. I don't, I don't like people escaping the database. Though. <laughs> no, it's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So this actually can get in, you know, something interesting, you know, within the Postgres security model. And then we could talk a little bit about how trusted languages work with this. So post the way the Postgres security barrier works is that it operates within something called, you know, the Postgres user at the operating system level. You know, it's within this user space. And there's actually features within Postgres that let you execute code, you know, directly on a server. I mean, the database itself is doing that. That's how it stores the files. But there's something like copy program where I can copy, a, you know, some data from a database you know, to a file that exists on the server. And there's some functions as well that let you access data that directly on your file system. Now, in some environments, that's completely okay. You know, you might have these highly trusted users, you know, doing some like really cool things in terms of how you're processing like ETL jobs or other type things, you know, within, you know, within your database. But you might not want that. Um, you might not want people to be able to access files on your file system, even as the Postgres user itself. But you know, you still want to enable your developers to build programs. Like that's you know generally something that's you know very useful, particularly if you're writing you know stored procedures or stored functions on a database. So this is where a trusted language comes in. And in Postgres, a trusted language has specific properties. The first property is that it can do no harm, and specifically, it can do no harm by escalating to a privilege a privilege it does not have. So for example, you know. You know, Dave is you know this you know untrusted user. You know, apparently he writes all these bugs, as he says. He well, is very we probably, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We we probably don't want him to have super user access, but we still mm -hmm. want him to program. You know, he he's been doing a good job programming despite the buggy code. You know, a trusted language is going to prevent him from being able to escalate to a super user with you know some you know some poorly written code, or even some you know craftily you know written malicious code. The other property is that it restricts access to the file system. So that way, the only way you're able to write files to the disk or read files from the disk is through the standard Postgres process, you're not able to just arbitrarily you know, do things on the file system. This includes restricting some things around networking as well, like some trusted languages won't let you make external network calls. 
But with those guarantees, you can basically say like, hey, you know, I like writing code in JavaScript. I want to write some stored procedures in Postgres. You know, let me let me write it in JavaScript. And you have the security guarantees around that. And again, these are things that are actually available today already in a you know, RDS for Postgres and you know, Amazon Aurora Postgres compatible edition that you have access to uh, trusted JavaScript, trusted Perl, and uh, Postgres's own language, uh, PLPGSQL. Oh, nice. I want to have a conversation a little bit about your team's approach to open source, because I think it's it's super important. And you all decided to make this this project available to the open source community at large. Can you kind of just talk about that direction of your team, that vision, your kind of commitment to, to what does that mean for for developers and, uh, you know, the community at large? When when we came up with the idea of trusted language extensions early on, you know, the idea was to open source this from the get go, and there's a lot of reasons why. You know, particularly when you're building anything around like a like a software development kit or a you know something where developers need to like stare at the API and understand what's going on, it's much better if that code is open because people can truly understand what's going on and optimize their code for doing that. Also, I mean, Postgres itself is open source, and if you look at the extensions that are available to use for Postgres, you know, the vast majority are open source as well. And this is, you know, this has created this Postgres builder community that either builds on existing work from other extensions or gets inspired by another extension and repackages it, you know, you know, in their own way. You know, the idea of it being open source just seemed very compelling. You know, a lot of the a lot of these extensions do drive either, you know, additional feedback to how Postgres itself is developed or let's people, you know, build out, you know, build out their own programs, you know, understanding how, you know, an extension works. We felt very strongly about it being open source because we wanted to make sure that, you know, we wanted to have, we want to let people both influence the roadmap for trusted language extensions, but also be able to better understand how to build the extensions themselves. And seeing how, you know, the Postgres and all the extensions around Postgres have been developed, we felt that open sourcing it was the way to go. I'm just super curious. What are like, what are people doing? What are like the top extensions in the open source community around here? Do, do you know the, the stats on that, John? You don't even have to give well, just I, the categories. I'm just curious, like, what are people building? What are they building wrong? <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of good things being built uh, yeah. and uh, useful things. I know like... Uh, one of the most popular ones that people tend to talk about is uh, PGStat statements, which helps you understand how uh, a query is performing. And then oh, nice. if you've got bad performing queries, then it'll show those. So that's um, one of the more popular ones. And that's one that uh, we do support with RDS and Aurora today. Yeah, I think a lot of what you see is, you know, Postgres is a database and the fundamental unit within a database is a data type. And some of these start out small. You have like integers and strings, and they build up to things that are more complex, like you know dates and times and shapes. And you see a lot of these extensions create their own data types. You know, one example I want to give is range types. Uh, range types actually started out as an extension as a way to store they call it like temporal data or data that can extend you know between you know this time and this time or this date and this date. And ultimately, that became a core data type within Postgres. But by having it in an extension, it allowed people to see it, test it out, and advocate for it to be you know, within the core database itself. The most extreme example of this is uh, PostGIS, which John mentioned earlier, which is a you know, geographic information system. 
and those have some you know, fairly sophisticated data types for storing map data within it. But we see that as you know, one, one of the most popular use cases. Another we see is the use of hooks in Postgres. And a hook is basically a place where you can like inject your own logic and, you know, onto the Postgres execution path. It's a way to extend Postgres without forking it. And there, you know, we've seen like you know two hooks are you know in particular very popular. One is this one that lets people inject their own you know checking you know, custom password logic to make sure it you know, meets their organizational standards. Nice. Another is a hook that actually lets you intercept queries and you know change the behavior of a, a query you know along its path. You know we see this in a lot of the uh, you know more sophisticated extensions out there, and that's kind of wild. Like you think about it, like oh Postgres oh, yeah. has this like query planning logic in it, and then someone can inject something and go completely change the behavior of of the query. uh, I mean, it's super powerful. That was me. So this is going back to when I was building these these big websites that needed to scale. And Emma's going to hate me because she's like DevOps super genius. So (laughs) as a developer, what I realized at the time, it was SQL Server 6.5, right? Which kind of came from Fox Pro. Uh, And I'm doing all T-SQL. And the SQL scales like you would not believe. Like I'm going into Microsoft SQL servers and I'm editing registry settings for like different kind of buffers and and anything I can get. But it it and it's running on you know fcals and stuff, fibre channel, arbitrated loop switch, all the, all this kind of stuff, right? And raids, and it's amazing. And our basically deployment process is they would check all this code coming out of Visual Source Safe but they would just run whatever T-SQL I gave them. So as a developer, I decided to move all of my logic in the SQL. And when you were, I, I'm sorry, when you were talking about hooks, I'm like, that's kind of like what I did where I was like, I'm just going to scale this out because it's so dynamic and I'm doing, you know, cross table joins and I'm creating all, they're not just ordinal types, like I'm doing this stuff. And it was great and it worked great. And it kind of like allowed me, it, it, it didn't break the website, you know, and I can kind of, see, it was all happening on the data end. And I can kind of see developers like these hooks as a way to, you know, to, to kind of scale up and be able to do that on the, on the data end. So. Well, and a lot of this sounds very protective of individual developers. Like it is harder to make critical errors or create uh, security vulnerabilities in a really big way if you have these sort of catches um, to look at things prior to to it actually being stored in the database. Is that correct? I think that's one way to look at it. Yeah, it, it does it does help raise the level of um, safety in the way you approach uh, building and deploying code. How can people learn more about this project? So we've launched the open source project. It's PG underbar TLE. Uh, you can find it under the AWS organization on GitHub. Uh, PGTLE.org is also the domain that will redirect you over there too. So you can find a, find the open source project and the documentation, the samples all uh, out in the open. Um, and then of course, uh, you get started with uh, Amazon Aurora or uh, RDS. Postgres and uh, spin up an instance of 14.5 and start reusing TLA. Thank you. I'm sure people will be thrilled. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us. This is great to talk with you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. We're excited for everyone to start playing with trusted language extensions. And you know, we want to see what people build. I mean, that's the beauty of it, that you know, it's a it's a blank canvas. You know, we're trying to you know provide the enablement functionality so you can uh, run these extensions in 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 these environments, and then let us know how we can improve it. That's why it's open source. You know, help help us guide us on the roadmap, and even help contribute. You know, we're we're very eager to see uh, what you're going to build. I love it. I can't wait for you to hear 
from developers. And I appreciate all of you. Emily and I are just talking about what you're all doing, but you're actually building this stuff and making things better. So thank you so much for, for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank, thank you. you. That's all right. Just hoping hoping my dog doesn't come running in now. Yeah. Yeah. We love dogs here. I'm a dog person. I can't get enough of the pups. Oh, they're great. Oh, yeah. If you want another fun anecdote, so apparently there was a lithium fire in our building earlier this week that, or actually while we were away, and it shut down all the elevators. So all the elevators have been off, you know, on and off, like, periodically as they fix everything. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's a good thing you don't have anything going on at work. Yeah, exactly. I've been stuck in a couple elevators, but the one time I panicked, I was pregnant. And I was just like, get me out of this thing now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't fun. Okay. Ready?